Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we're back again. I'm excited for this week's guest. Have you managed to stay cool this week? Not at all. This is relevant to today's episode. Not at all. It's been quite humid. Uh, Yeah, I don't remember a time. I'm usually quite good in the heat, but yeah, yesterday was just very, very, just even in the shade. I can't recall just (laughs) struggling in the shade. I don't want to say Glassford was kind of a big baby about it, but he was kind of a big baby about it. Yeah. So tell me more. How can today's guest help me with my, my humidity issues? Well, she can make you feel kind of bad for feeling bad about them, mainly. Uh, so today we're talking to Ellie Pell, who I actually met when I was out at the Western States 100 tr- uh, training camp back at the end of May with my friend Karen, who raced Western States, and then I paced for her. Uh, we met Ellie at that training camp. She is a professional runner out of Ithaca, New York. Uh, she is part of the trail collective which is uh i'm very excited it's all east coast running based and i feel like the east coast trail running scene does not get nearly the credit it deserves despite the fact that we have some of the hardest races out on the east coast okay that's that's an odd claim to make do you have the hardest races on the east coast or the hardest races period i didn't say we had the hardest races period i'm just Ah, saying we have really hard races on the east coast Coast. but typically it's like the the west coast races the more canyony deserty ones that get all the cred so okay very excited to talk to someone about racing on the east coast Uh, although we did meet on the west coast so i guess that kind of ruins our thesis a little bit that's right uh but ellie is an awesome runner uh she did her first hundred miler as western states she'd gotten in on a golden ticket and she had a really, really great race. Uh, you know, there were a lot of nerves going in, and we sort of talked through what she kind of had to figure out to to get through the race. And, uh, you know, just had to contend with the heat, with running at night, with sort of all of these relative unknowns. Uh, and, yeah, it's just really fun sort of hearing from from someone on how to prep for one of these super long races when you haven't necessarily done that exact thing before, which I know a lot of – racers whether you're into ultra running or you know any kind of racing really a lot of the time we're heading into the unknown i mean you have a lot of guys racing leadville on the mountain bike in a couple weeks here and you know it's not like they've ever raced at altitude or raced 100 miles necessarily Uh, so you know kind of just talking through how to factor in those unknowns and plan the best you can with uh, with what you have yeah i think that makes sense yeah there's you know lots of races you know it's the first time you're doing that race whether it's just the route is unfamiliar or the terrain or you know i recall just talking about east coast courses the first time we went to transylvania epic which is down in pennsylvania and they, they say hashtag uh east coast rocks um it does but also it has them but yeah i was overwhelmed you know we live in a, actually a fairly rocky area that's why i moved here originally um but yeah, it was next level, I, like 12 mile rock gardens, basically. Uh, so yeah, I, I can see, you know, even if you are fairly experienced, you know, anytime you go to these new races, there's new elements or combination of elements or just the environment is different, right? The scenario is different. Yeah. And on that note, I will quickly shout out, we have been kind of collecting race beta for some of these bigger races. We actually did just post the Leadville 100 race beta 
uh, article over on consummateathlete.com. So if that is something that you have coming up, that's the place to head for sort of all of the links, all of the information, all of the tips and tricks. So definitely, mm-hmm. I think that's that a good up. idea. I think it'll take a bit of work, but I, I do think sort of having posts where. Uh, you know, certainly clients, coaching clients who are doing, you know, these big, more bucket list races, but we'll do a few different ones, right? We have a Quebec single track experience coming up and things like registration, you know, key things to know for the course, uh, you know, helpful videos that, you know, hopefully clients, you know, are submitting this. So we're trying to build these over time, you know, yearly we'll update them. Yeah. I mean, I'm mainly in it because I really want the the beta on where the best snacks are. So that's what I keep asking people. I'm like, yeah, but where's the best food? which I think is the most important part of any race, really. Okay, so you're going to flood the local restaurants or something. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Apologies. Uh, yeah, and if you're at Western States, uh, I think it's Maria's for, for the best tacos ever would be my, my tip there. Uh, perfect. Well, uh, without further ado, let's get into this interview with Ellie Pell about all things ultra running and dealing with the great unknown. So have you always been a runner or how did you get into it? I haven't. Um, So I grew up playing team sports. I played volleyball and basketball. Um, I think I enjoyed basketball more, and I might have been a little bit better at that. But um, I got burned out on basketball before volleyball. So I took volleyball a little bit further. I played one year in college. But um, then just um, a lot of confounding, or not confounding, uh, a lot of factors just sort of uh, made it very clear that it was time for me to hang up my uh, my Mizuno shoes and um, just do something else. And um, But I loved it. I really, I loved playing basketball. I loved playing volleyball. But, you know, um, even though we love things, sometimes it's t- uh, you just know when it's time to let them go. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, that's what I did until about the age of 19. And uh, then I didn't do much until I started running at about age 22 when I moved to Ithaca and met the running community of Ithaca, New York. Okay. So do you think because you were in team sports, it took finding that running community side of things to to get kind of back into running for the first time? No, I think actually the opposite. I started running because I just had a lot of emotions and it was free (laughs) and I had no friends. And so that was like, it hit all the things, free, no friends, lots of emotions, and it made me feel better at the end. So I started doing it because I just kind of wanted to, I don't know, be a little bit more just okay with being alone, being with myself. Um, And through that, it's actually brought me, brought my life, made my life so much bigger. But I think I had to go through that, just learning how to, yeah, like be okay with who I was because I grew up just feeling like there was something wrong with me. And, um, and so I think just learning that like different people live differently, which actually living in Ithaca, it's a very tolerant, very liberal place. So I kind of got indoctrinated into that as well. But then also I just learned that like, God damn it. I like myself. I'm pretty cool. So it sort of just gave me that confidence too. <laughs> it's true. You are pretty cool. I got to meet you at the, the Western <laughs> States training camp and, uh, and get to hang out with you a bit there and then see you. Uh, I got to see you run in Western States, which was your first hundred miler. So, uh, before we get into everything you're doing kind of outside of the, the running space, you just did your first hundred miler and it was Western States, like the race. How was it? <laughs> It was incredible. 
um, in so many different ways. Like, like, I mean, we can even just start at training camp. So I decided to go to training camp like maybe two weeks before because um, like this whole year, 2022 of running has just been so different than anything I've ever done in my life. Like going to different races across the country, going someplace, like getting on a plane, going someplace just to train for another race. Like I've never done that kind of stuff. And like, I, like I told you, I got into running, you put on your shoes, you walk out the door. Mm -hmm. So it's just been so different, but going to training camp, I mean, meeting all the people there, like, and just people that I'm just like, these two are exactly like me, you know, like, this is really cool. I mean, we're all different, but it was just this acceptance that I just love so much. Mm-hmm. And so tr- going to training camp was awesome. Like I, that was the first time I ever had fun. And so now when I have it, I'm like, Oh, I remember Molly and Karen in Ireland <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> and, um, and so the race itself was like, you know, it was everything they tell you that it was like no more, no less. Like I, and I mean, maybe like if I ever get the opportunity to go again, it'll change. But I mean, I, it was just, it was a big deal, but also it really felt like intimate, a community too. Um, you, the people walking around, you know, I mean, and just people that you see online or people that you've met, but haven't met in person, but it's sort of, it's, I feel like the online and in real life communities are, we're finally finding our footing. Like it was really easy to be like somebody that I've talked to online, but just walk up and be like, Oh, hi, Adam. Or like, Oh, hi, Hayden. You know, just people that I may, I might know, but not know yet. And that felt really natural and organic and actually, uh, what would you say? Um, uh, authentic. There we go. Mm-hmm. And so the race itself, um, it went, okay until it was just like I made some mistakes and that's all right it's the first hundred and I got through it and it was one of the hardest things that I've done in my life but also the day was amazing so um yeah and now I'm uh, recovering from it <laughs> yeah and it's a it's a long recovery uh so so what uh what point during the race did things start tipping. I mean, you obviously had like a fantastic finish, a great time, especially for a first hundred. But was there like a point where everything was going great until or was it just kind of highs and lows the whole time? Um, you know, it felt like I, I really don't think I would have run the first part of the race any differently. I think I would have just been a little bit more mindful of uh, sweat loss and hydration levels because that autumn like, it um, led to me not being able to digest food very well after mm-hmm. mile 40. And so after mile 40, um, it was just, it, it was painful actually to take in food. And so then I just got this strategy of like, I just can't put this in my mouth right now. And so I would only eat at aid stations and I would try to eat a lot. And I thought I was eating a lot, but it was really most like it felt like a lot because it was really hard to eat and digest things. So we learned a lot there and I already have a bunch of like um, a whole note thing on my iPhone of how to do this better. But um, at that point I didn't notice like my hydration and electrolytes and sodium were so off until it was a little bit too late. And, but that's okay. Um, That happens. But yeah, it was like around mile 40 where I started realizing like, Hmm, this is not going down like it normally does at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was feeling good, like running the way that I wanted to run. I mean, I, I joke like, or I guess it, uh, people thought that I, or not people, but like, 
it might have seemed like I was trying to run fast up the escarpment, but like I was sort of just running the way that I planned and practiced in my training. And to be fair, I might have like quote unquote was second up the hill, but like Marianne was like two seconds behind me. They just didn't see her on the camera. Like, so uh, we were all kind of together. So I don't think my effort was anything that was out of something that I couldn't hold for a hundred miles. It was just a lot of other factors like hydration, being able to take in food, um, that kind of was like the slow decline till the end. Um, and then after about mile 60, my uh, left calf or my left shin really started making itself known. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize is that the race is kind of favors your left side as you're running around the mountains. And I just, um, you know, after 62 miles and beyond, it's kind of like my body's never done it. So it just started to stress my shins a little bit so that was rather painful but there was no point during the race where I was not 100% sure that I was going to finish Mm -hmm. and unless I broke my leg um I just my mental game was there the whole time I each time something bad happens I was like okay this is a puzzle the part of the puzzle we'll work through it we'll get through this um and then having my pacers for the last 20 miles or last 40 miles was key as well they were really good at like maybe you should put some of this in your mouth and try to eat it, Ellie. And I'm like, but it really hurts. They're like, I know it hurts, but you just got to do it. But then at mile 93, um, the best words I heard that whole day was when my pacer Amelia, when I was again looking at the aid station table, like, I don't know if I can eat anything. She just goes, well, it's only seven miles. You can make it. We don't need to eat anything. Let's go. And I was like, that's the best thing I've heard all day. Let's go. <laughs> Thank but you for not making fun. me eat. <laughs> I know, and then I all fun, but of course I collapsed at the finish line and was like, "Hundred miles are stupid," and just like collapsed and like I, I fell asleep like in the van ride from the track to the hotel to our Airbnb, which was like maybe a half a mile, and I fell asleep like in my dirty clothes, just on the couch. Um, but yeah, it was a great experience and I couldn't have picked like more, the better people to come with me. And so, um, I know I had a little bit of a better eat. Well, I consider myself lucky compared to what happened to the person you were pacing and getting an allergic reaction. So I'm like, yeah, Ellie, what were you complaining for? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's, uh, even as you, if you're there at the end of Western States, when you're watching the people coming in for just under the, the cutoff time, it instantly puts things into perspective where you're like, oh my gosh, how, like my day wasn't bad at all. These poor people have been out for, for 30 hours or the ones that are out for what, like 30 hours and like 30 seconds and now just nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say it was crazy. It was interesting afterwards because I, I was in, it was the, the two weeks after the race were just, I was not myself. I was, I cried at random times. I was very just like a shell of who I was. And that actually scared me because my personality, I like my personality. I, I mean, I can be obnoxious and abrasive, but also I'm like pretty happy and peppy and stuff. And I was like, if this is 100 milers do to me, I don't want to do another one. Like this sucks. But now I'm feeling a little better. Um, but it's been interesting in the past two weeks because, you know, a hundred miles is a crazy accomplishment. Like I think us in this world, we forget that. Yes. Like, it's thank insane, you. you know, <laughs> but I, I, and the thing is like two weeks after, cause I'm not feeling great. And, and like, I mean, I got 14 and so like, 
um, people congratulating me, my immediate reaction was like, oh, I feel terrible and like whatever. And I've heard of millions of people doing these hundred mile races or thousands, whatever. And I'm like, why are these people congratulating me? I got 14th. I didn't win. I didn't even get in the top 10. Like I, I don't understand. And it took a little bit for me to like put into perspective. Yes. Like you got 14th, you could do better, but also like it's a hundred miles. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's this push and pull of like um, recognizing what we've done, but all, and also being like, there are ways I can do that better, and I need to accept that about myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so funny. I actually felt that way at training camp. I don't know if you got this at all, but when you would be talking to people and they'd ask you either like about your weekly mileage or like what hundreds have you done, like because I've only done one and the the look on people's faces when I even said just like oh I've just done the one was like a little bit pitying like oh okay I was like oh man <laughs> and then I got back to regular life and everyone's like no 100 miles is a big deal I was like, oh right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah in a way I'm glad like I work in the running industry like I'm at a running store right now I'm gonna open it at 10 like um, and I work for an or trail running organization but like it is nice to like sort of get out of that like it seems like high stakes, like professional, just a professional running environment where like, you know, everybody's done this thing a bunch of times. Um, I like it. And then also, like you said, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, my, my weekly mileage is like 65. So like, mm-hmm. I mean, if we have, you know, we're talking about going to dinner with Arlen, where like, maybe like two days after Western, he ran 10 miles and I was still like, crying in the airport you know (laughs) like I and it's just really funny but also I am not a huge I don't really compare myself to people like I used to when I started this sport so it's all fun but it also we all do such different things Mm -hmm. um so yeah but it's like a hundred miles you know (laughs) it's a thing yeah it's it's funny so I mainly work in cycling journalism or in my my other life here I guess um and I've actually found it really helpful that I now focus on running as my thing because that way when I'm interviewing pro cyclists I'm less uh liable to compare myself I think if I was just in the running scene I would definitely still really struggle with the comparison thing um so it's (laughs) I'm pretty impressed that you're you're so confident in in your in your choices because I definitely I struggle with the comparison thing a lot (laughs) yeah well I think um and Ian my mentor has kind of taught me this that like because he always will make the comment to like give me like enough pressure to get uncomfortable and learn how to deal with it without get making me feel overwhelmed Mm. which I think has really been good for my growth because I don't feel like it would be good for me to avoid everything because then it's like when it comes to you, you don't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I think having a little bit of that, like, Oh, you know, I don't know if it's jealousy or, I mean, it might be, I mean, I wish that my, I don't know my, if my body could handle that amount of mileage, I have never tried, but I, I don't know if it's like jealousy that, uh, people can do that or like, Maybe it's a little bit of like, ooh, maybe if I did do that, maybe I would have gotten third at Western States, you know. Um, so, but I think going through those emotions and being able to process that and then reassure myself like, okay, that might work for somebody else. It might even work for you, but also what you're doing has been working and I'm a constant N of one, so I can try things and 
build up to that or not figure out what works for me. And then if it stops working, then reassess and try something new. So I think confronting those feelings is also really important for me, just because it makes dealing with it and being confident in my training and myself a later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of confidence, I know night running was something that you were a little bit nervous about. You hadn't really had that many races that ever ended in the Had you had any races that ended in the dark ahead of Western States? No. How was it? <laughs> so it's really funny because I was nervous about that, but um, I remember it was like 4.30 or 5 p.m. And I remember getting to an aid station being like, when does it start to get dark? Because it's really hot and it's the sun. I just, I like the sun, but I would really like the dark time. Um, and so it ended up actually going pretty well, I think because I wasn't overthinking it and it gradually got darker. So my mind just kind of went there and I was really like in a state of just like keep moving forward. And um, yeah, so I actually enjoyed running in the dark um, because I was also with my best friend. And so she was making jokes and like, I was just doing interesting things or saying something strange and my light worked well. Um, so, uh, and I knew we were like getting closer to the finish line, even if I kept apologizing, like, I'm sorry, we're going so slowly. I'm sorry that we're walking. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the night running actually went pretty well. And it was it, like a, a week and a half after the race, I, uh, it was like 7 p.m. And I know that is when my best friend Amelia goes running. And I thought about being like, I should join her tonight. Actually, I'm feeling pretty like I would enjoy that. But um, I'm still, you know, trying to be, be easy on my body. So I didn't. But I, uh, I survived and it was fine. Nice, nice. Now, uh, you've mentioned your crew and pacers a couple times. How did you decide on your crew and pacers? Because I feel like this is a very, like, it's a it's a tricky job having now done it and having, like, having had people pace and crew me. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough ask and it's a tough thing to do. And it's tough to find the people that are going to work, like, right for you in the moment. Yeah, so my two best friends, Riley and Amelia, I remember, because um, I went to Bandera with Riley, and uh, I remember we were in an Airbnb, and I think we were just, uh, we shared a room, and we were just like, well, if one of us gets it, we're pacing the other person. Um, and so that was decided, like, pretty quick. Like, that was just, like, glibly, you know, like, if you're at a bar, and you're like, if I ever do this, mm -hmm. I'm bringing you, you know? <laughs> so, um and so actually, I'm looking forward to when Riley asks me to step up to the plate and come. Um, and then Amelia is just my other best friend. And so uh, I knew, like, she was kind of like an automatic, just like if anything cool happens, like, I would like you to come. And same with me, like, I'm pacing her later in the summer. Um, so those two were shoe and Ian, he's, um, I already referenced him. He's my mentor. He owns the running company, running store that I'm in right now that I help with. And then he owns the Trails Collective and Red Newt Racing. And so um, he's been, he's actually somebody that like fostered my growth in the sport, just always believing in me, but not in like a Luke Skywalker Yoda kind of way. Like, it's not like he chose me or was like, you are the chosen one. It was more like, he just was always nice and always just offered things or was just opportunities or just when I really needed help or something like that, he just always seemed to be there and so and I've fallen in love with his family too they're great I don't know how they deal with him but whatever and um, so he was another definite um, 
I actually, when, when I was coming home from Bandera, um, I called him and he was already like, I already booked us an Airbnb in a car. I, you didn't ask me yet, but I assumed. And I was like, yeah, thank you. Um, so that was great. And then also just being here in close proximity, it was good for planning. We could talk about things pretty closely, which was good because it was also our peak racing season. So in, a different to, in addition to Western States, we at Red Newt Racing put on seven races. So cool. that was just, it's just been uh, like a whole host of 10 weeks. Good, but also extremely busy. And so just being, it's a little bit easier to plan something when I'm like physically in the room with Ian. Um, and then the other two are like my second parents and, um, they're Riley's parents and they've just been, I met them also directly at Bandera. And then since then, Riley and I are training partners. So I'll go down to their house and train with Riley a little bit and hang out with them. And they've just become like a second family to me. And they also pace Riley or crew for Riley at all their races. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it's, it, it really just like, I couldn't have, I didn't think about anybody else. Um, really, I did ask a couple other people if they wanted to come and pace, um, because those are people that I might have trained with, or they said like, if you if you get this golden ticket, I'll definitely come and pace. But then you know, life happens, and they are were unable to. So, but I I don't think I need anybody else. I think my crew was perfect, and um, yeah, I hope that I can do that for Riley, maybe at Western States next year, or and um, I'll be doing that for Amelia later. So, yeah, that's how I sort of came about my crew. Nice. Um, and you just mentioned the the lengthy planning that goes into something like Western States. Like what, what are you doing? Did you have a, a Google Doc where you had all the details? Do you have spreadsheets? Do you have maps? Like what did what did it look like? Because I feel like people don't necessarily think about this as being a huge element to these long races, but it's it's the planning is almost half the battle. Yeah. So, um, Anne, who, uh, Riley's mother, uh, she is very, very good at doing all this stuff and she enjoys it. So, um, Anne and Bill, they're both retired and they just, uh, Bill's good with navigation and Anne is good with spreadsheets and just things that people don't think about. Like, I mean, and that, like, for example, it's going to be like five hours between the time they might see me. So they she even Googled like places for them to hang out and get like in like cool off for a little bit. Like, so she's very into that. Um, but actually, what I first did to sort of help us was I um, someone that I really look up to and has sort of like a little bit of like a big sister kind of role is I asked Devin Yanko for some help. And she, uh, she sent me all of her um through Excel sheets from her last, I think, 2016 or 17 race. And so we were able to sort of make a skeleton off of that. Um, obviously, I did not, I don't, I did not run as fast as Seven did, but the, we had like different projected times and stuff like that. And then just other uh, things to think about. And so, yeah, shout out to Devin. And she sort of helped kick me off with and give Anne also a template of where to start. Uh, but there also are a lot of resources on the Western States website. So we had Excel sheets and of uh, times that I might be projected to come into aid stations. I had, I tried to have this, it's called a bullet list of foods that are bullseye food list. Um, I base a lot of my training off of Jason Coop's style, his book. And um, he has this bullseye foods 
list. And so the middle is like stuff you can always eat. The next one is like usually stuff you can mostly eat. And then the last one is like stuff that if you're having a great day and everything is working, you can also try these things too. Well, you know, like none of that works after mile 40, but it was a good thought. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, but we'll try for next time. And uh, so I had that on there and that also some psychological stuff, like things I might want Riley or Amelia to tell me when they're with me, just to remind me like that, you know, they're here with me, even though I'm struggling and it's going to be okay. We're going to get, we're going to get us through this. Um, things not to say, like, don't tell me that it's okay to quit because it's not, um, <laughs> you know, um, and just things like that. Uh, so we did really organize a lot and uh, or at least more than I have ever done in my life. And it, it was great, but also my, my crew was really flexible to change if things were going in a different direction. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and speaking of that, how did you how did you plan on handling the heat? And then how did it actually play out? What worked? What didn't? What are you glad you did? And what do you wish you'd done? Sure. So I did get into the sauna for the week before the race. But um, I work a lot in sports psychology and exercise physiology. And so I knew that the weather in upstate New York was not at all like what we were going to. And the weather at Western States training camp was not at all like what we were going to experience. So I did get into the sauna, but I also did a lot of mental training to like calm myself down when I get really hot and also just not like acknowledge that the heat is there, but that doesn't, but it's, that doesn't mean that um, I need to have a moment or like pout about it or whatever it's there. And so I did a lot of mental work to just like, um, enjoy the course and, and think about other things rather than how hot it was. Um, cause that could lead me down to like down to spiraling mm -hmm. and that worked great. It worked so well that I did not drink enough because I was like, yeah, this isn't so bad. And like, I didn't hydrate enough and didn't get in enough electrolytes, um, which ended up kind of like killing me in the second half. So it worked really well, but I obviously have learned a different hydration and sodium strategy for whatever next hot race I do. So that's really how I took uh, handling the heat. Um, and then also at every aid station, putting ice everywhere. I had an ice bandana. I put it down my shirt. I didn't do the sleeves, which I'm actually fine with because I think that would have just been annoying. Um, and, um, but yeah, so it's funny. It's like, I thought cold thoughts, but actually I had a mental strategy to manage the heat. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and I noticed you had, you had very big sunglasses and an actually like, like brimmed cap. Did that, was that like, is that how you train? Cause I feel like for a lot of people, I know that feels like too much on their heads, but it seemed, you seemed very comfortable with it. Yeah, I like off and on. I mean, I wear sunglasses when it's really sunny. I wear hats sometimes. Um, it, I had uh, there. I did have a bucket hat that was um, an option, but I don't. I just feel comfortable in that one. It's a really lightweight hat. I got it in Atlanta like years ago. I don't know, and it's funky. Like I kind of like bright colors, and so I was used to that. And I really didn't plan like. Uh, my glasses and hat like look really but after the race I got so many compliments about like, this glasses and hat combo and I was like well thanks but I really just I like the bigger glasses I uh I thought that they would work a little bit better um but I also have smaller ones as well it's 
Uh, so there wasn't really too much of a strategy besides have a hat that you could put ice into and then have sunglasses to protect your eyes. Um, so yeah, that was, that was just sort of a given, but yeah, I do run in them off and on. It really depends on if I remember to put a hat on, if it's, if it might rain, um, and then sunglasses, if I wake up and it's sunny. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. And recovery. I know we've, we've kind of talked about the mental ups and downs, but physically, what did you, what did you do recovery wise? Did you have a few days off of work? Cause I realized, you know, working in the running store and working at events, it's on your feet a lot, uh, which is not super conducive to elite level running recovery. So how, how'd that go? Yeah. So my biggest recovery like is sleeping. I sleep like nine hours a night. Um, Same. I would sleep more if I could. Um, and the thing is after the race, I could not sleep because um, my legs were like twitching, doing that twitching thing. Yeah. But then my shin by the end of the race was like really swollen. And so when my legs would twitch, it would, it would really jolt that shin. And then it was so painful. And so, um, I didn't sleep very well. And then when I don't sleep, everything seems very overwhelming. And then also I get upset that I'm not sleeping because that I'm like, how am I going to recover? And, you know, it goes, I guess, spiral a little bit. So I did have some, like, kind of um, darker Instagram posts about it because nobody, I, I haven't read many people talking, like, oh, yeah, recovering from a 100-miler is hard. And I'm like, no, this is actually what's going on right now in my body. Like, I was in the hotel room, like, feeling this when I wrote those. And, um, and then also because food was really hard during the race, it continued to be a little bit of, a little bit hard after the race. And so it was like, if I ever point where I didn't feel nausea, I tried to eat something. Um, so again, that blissful, like, oh, you just get to eat tons and sleep. And it's like, when does this happen? Because this didn't happen for me. Like, yep. when, is this good, when is the good time coming? Um, and so, um, but I did, yeah, I have, uh, we, two days after the race, we left on Tuesday from, Tuesday morning from California. And then I started work, yeah, on that on Wednesday. But it's been like there are a lot of chances to sit and stuff, and also going on walks and actually still being a little bit active moderately is good for my recovery. Um, so yeah, going on walks or being active in the store is actually good both mentally and physically for me. It helps my body recover. It helps me get my blood flowing and get some sort of normalcy. Um, but then, yeah, the electrolytes were so out of balance and stuff. So I'm really glad I have nothing on the schedule because I had no idea how my body re would respond and it kind of freaked out. So mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to let it come back to itself and not be like, oh, well, you know, I got to start training again for something else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, do you think working sort of this normal job in the running store, everything you do with Trails Collective, do you feel like that actually helps you kind of keep everything in balance? Because I've seen so many people go from from working to then becoming, you know, full time pro runners and or cyclists. And often it doesn't actually work very well because they suddenly have too much time. And that's where the the, you know, 250 mile weeks and stuff start to really, really weighing on them. But I think the people who have sort of that normal job on the other side kind of have the best balance. Yeah, for me, that's true. I think it does take a certain person 
to really buy into that lifestyle. And um, I think it, it does work. And when it works, it really works. But for me, um, I just, running is wonderful. And I love our community. And I do feel a lot of purpose doing what I do if I was just running. Um, the messages that I get from people or if sometime I have a thought that's like, maybe somebody else feels this way. Um, I do feel purpose from that, but I just, for me right now, I don't know if full-time athletics would give me enough sense of purpose. And so coming into a job, doing things for the Trails Collective, which by the way, is still completely volunteer. Um, I really enjoy doing that. And I feel such I feel more like I'm accomplishing something like I am like I have more to give and that sort of stems from basic needs theory and psychology. So people want to feel um, related, competent and autonomous in what they do. And those three things, if you can satisfy those three things, with what you're doing, it's more likely that you're going to be happy. And so I think that if I was only uh, just running, that it might satisfy those three things for a while, but I just, I know my mind and my brain and I always want to be expanding, learning new things. And I just, it would take a lot for me to buy into that. Me just running was learning new things and expanding. I, I like having the things here one, because it gives me something I know ironically working in a running store gives me something to think about besides my own running, but it really does because I love cheering other people on. That's kind of what I do for the trails collective, why I'm so invested, why I started an athlete team. And I love just telling other people like cheering for people and having somebody else to cheer for. And even if it's my competitors, you know, I mean, like I put some athletes on the trails collective team that like, they're going to be competing with me for golden tickets or competing with me at other races. And like, but I just love cheering for them. I don't care. I mean, they're going to make me better ultimately. So mm -hmm. it's like, I love it. And I like, and so having that balance, even though I work in the running industry is really important for me right now. I can't say that's going to always be the case. Or if say my sponsor on was like, we want you to just run professionally. Um, and, but I think I would want to, or just work for them or something. I would want to do something else like athlete campaigns or somehow do something else mm -hmm. with the company in addition to running because, you know, I mean, I'm not really running right now. And so, like, what would I be doing? Yeah. You know, like, I would be just, like, sort of sitting on the couch, staring at my calf, waiting for it to just be 100% ready for me to go running. And that's just, I, I don't know. I think it would really just mess with me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. Uh, last week, I had an 80K the weekend after Western States, and I did that. And then the next week, I had the whole week off. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just got so much done this week without running. So it made the recovery <laughs> week feel fantastic. <laughs> right? I've made the best pasta dishes this past week. I'm trying new recipes. Like, my house is clean. I finally yep. have, like, I moved, like, a, like a, a month and a half ago, and so, like, I finally have, like, more things put away. I'm like, this is, this is nice. And that, but eventually, I mean, I love running, so I want to get back to running, but, you know, I, I do like to embrace the downtime. Like, I don't just want to spend my time twiddling my thumbs wishing I was running. I was like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just, I'm going to do something else. I've read a couple books. Like, it's fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you do have a degree, like, we've talked about sports psych a few times on here. You have a degree in kinesiology, emphasis in sports nutrition and sports psych. Um, 
how how has it helped your running? And I'm also just curious, like if there's been anything where you you learned it, but it just doesn't actually make sense in practice for ultra running because ultra running just doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's true. Um, let me think. That's a great question. Uh, it's definitely. I feel like I'm in constant reflection of both what I'm doing and how my mental state is, and um, I. I think that in ultra running, sometimes it's a little bit advantageous to turn that off, to just be like, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, it's, you know, running 80 miles is really irrational. And mm-hmm. um, I maybe just shouldn't think, overthink it, you know, um, and I'm getting a little bit better at that. But I do think that because I just, you know, like to think about things and have spent a lot of time alone in my own brain, uh, I tend to think a lot about what we're doing and I wonder if that at some point if it's if one day like it's going to come where I just don't feel like this race is worth it or it might not be worth it and I don't ever I don't want to give myself even if the race isn't worth it I still want to always have that fire to finish Mm. and so I wonder like me trying to be more rational in my old age will eventually come to just like uh take my competitor, take some of the fire out. So I worry about that a little bit in sport, like just being in sports psychology um, and thinking about the, what the research says. Um, and exercise physiology. Um, one thing that I try to learn is periodization within a training cycle, because I know that it's, you know, that like four or six weeks on one week down. And I have to be honest, when I plan my training cycles, I, I don't really ever have like a purposeful down week. It'll, it will usually be like the week after the race. I'll, I'm tired. So I don't run as much. I'm very like, uh, I, I edit and modify my training on the fly all the time. I really enjoy planning my own training. So, but I have to be honest, I've never like been like, Oh, six weeks of hard training. But if there isn't a race or something, then take a down week. I've never done that purposefully. It's mostly just sort of come organically. So I think in my next training cycle, if I am not doing races or something, I might want to try to add that in. Or maybe I don't need to purposely train, try, uh, add that in because my body tells me when it needs a rest and I listen to it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, And you actually had a a post a while back talking about consistency over goals. And I think especially as your own coach, this is such an interesting and I think difficult thing to do when you're when you're coaching yourself and you're planning your own training. So uh, can you just kind of talk through that consistency over goals concept? And then just uh, I don't know, I guess if you've ever struggled with it, or like how you've kind of come to terms with it, especially as your own coach and your own goal setter and your own like action step setter. Sure. So a lot of times during this past training cycle, I would just be like, Ellie, just be consistent. Just be consistent. Just get out there. Like, and I didn't have like a mind blowing workout. Um, And the thing is, I know what mind blowing workouts are because when I was training for the Olympic trials to qualify, uh, we were doing paced workouts and I remember doing these crazy workouts where I would be like heaving on the side of the track and then just being like, wow, I can't believe we did that. That was incredible. And I know those can be important, but I have to be honest, uh, training for a hundred miles, 
I did not have any of those workouts. Like I never, I mean, I would finish, a, I mean, like a 20 mile run is hard on me anyway. Like I would still just lay on my floor in a pool of sweat, but that it wasn't really like because of a mind blowing workout. It's because 20 miles is still a long time for me. Um, and so um, a lot of times, even though like I would get into my head and be like, maybe you, sh- maybe you need to do something that's more taxing, like your VO2 system or whatever. Um, I just, try to remind myself of like when I plan this training I planned it for a specific reason and so just try to be consistent like um I and I think the goals will come but also it makes them more modifiable and I guess we can think of this in the terms of Camille right like she's running at the top of her game right now she is doing incredible things and to be fair like it's I don't I I wonder if like she actually is like, I'm going to target this world record. Or it just seems like they just sort of come because she's training consistently and she's loving it. And I think that that's like a pretty great way for things to come to you. You know, it, I, I do appreciate the fact of like training for something and then reaching it or maybe just missing it and then training again and reaching it like Leah and her golden tickets, mm-hmm. you know. But also I think there's some value in like, just enjoying the process, be consistent, get out there when you can do your best. And sometimes goals fall into your lap or things that you didn't know that this was building on for something else. And it comes later. And so um, I do appreciate having goals, but also I think for me, just being consistent and loving running every day is a little bit more important than me having a big goal because I would get out and run if I sucked. I would get out and run if it was like, awfully terrible and um be just because it makes me better and I do really enjoy it even when it's hard I like pain I don't care about that it's and so um consistency is something that I focus on more than goals I would not say that goals are not something to have Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no I I completely agree I feel like yeah I, I said the pandemic was interesting for me because suddenly there are no goals on on the horizon really like you're like maybe a year out um and it it was interesting seeing who was still happy consistently training and who was almost more consistent uh and who just kind of fell apart because the the lack of a goal entirely Um, Mm -hmm. yeah uh, okay, and we've mentioned the the Trails Collective, and obviously we can't not talk about that before we let you get get back to work here. But tell me about what is the Trails Collective? Why is it? Uh, how did it start? Give me the details. You know, sometimes I'm still trying to figure that out. But um, so the Trails Collective is an East Coast trail running resource, mostly the Northeast Coast. But I mean, like, if someone from Florida was like, hey, can you shout me out? I wouldn't say no. Um right now we're focusing a lot on the media side so we're we put out a live show every week that goes that runs down the events that just happened we have the uh a lot of elite runners on the east coast that we highlight um we have events that from different race organizations and then sometimes we might also have like a topic so some so ian really likes going long he's extremely long-winded um (laughs) and so he uh but he's good he's very intuitive and he's very he asks great questions and so sometimes we've had a topic like diversity in the trail running space we've done we did a really good episode about religion and how spirituality in um uh, comes into our training and racing. And we had like Sabrina Little, Mario Mendoza and Michael DeBova talking about their, the different things that they believe and how it, it, how it influences their training. So that's like our live show that we do every week. Um, and then I host the podcast, 
Voices from the Collective. And really that uh, is where I just, I talk to somebody from either, usually it's East Coast, but I've also ventured out a little bit, like say someone came and won one of our races, like Max King or, you know, a Sage Candidate kind of a person. Um, and so that I love, and I didn't realize how much I loved that until I took kind of the month of June off of recording the show just to de-stress before Western. And I just did reruns of shows that I had uh, already recorded a while ago. And, um, but then I restarted when we got back and like, oh, I just love it so much. Like, isn't, isn't podcasting great, Molly? It's so much fun. It really is. It really, like, that's, I mean, we honestly started it because we just wanted an excuse to talk to people kind of whenever we wanted to talk to them. And yeah. It's made it so much fun. And, okay, what, like, what, why East Coast running? I mean, obviously you're in New York, so that makes sense, but. Can we just like explain why East Coast running is amazing and I feel like does not get the credit it deserves? Well, that's kind of it. I mean, Ian's fallen in love with running over here. So he sort of has started, he started it and then he asked me, my part was just to be the co-host this weekly news show. That was how we started back in January of 2020. Well, then the pandemic happened. So like any small startup, we modified a lot and we keep figuring out what works. And what doesn't? And so just slowly and steadily, we've added things to it. And now actually, um, we, so I also do, so to finish that, I also do the website development. Um, and I do a lot of the editing. Uh, I take a lot of the interest, like the things that like, probably I feel like shouldn't be answered by Ian because they're like small little asterisk things. Like I try to do that, like take a lot off his plate because he's got a lot going on. And then um, re- recently, we've tried to start live streaming some events over here. And so that's our new project. So to, to be seen how that works. Um, I But I've organized that. So I haven't been able to go to the past three races that we've live streamed. But I've been like the MC host because I love to learn about different runners. And obviously, I like to talk. So um, I really enjoy doing that part, being like the host of things. And just uh, like I said, I love highlighting other runners and encouraging people. So it's just like, it's fun. Um, But why East Coast is like, well, we're here. And um, there's a market for it where people want to see themselves in ultra running. And I think that's what a lot of attracts a lot of people to our sport is like they see themselves. It's like, it's hard to watch an NFL or NBA game and be like, oh, LeBron, I see myself in LeBron, like, <laughs> but you know, somebody can look and be like, oh, Ellie's pretty normal. Like she's running these things. I see myself in her or, you know, uh, Molly, she's just, she's doing that. And I, I see myself and I can do it too. And so, um, I think that, um, there's just been more coverage on the West coast so far because ultra running is still pretty new and that's where a lot of people live. And that's where a lot of nice, beautiful things um, happen. And, you know, I mean, I can't fault Billy Yang and Jamil for living over there. That's where they live. And they're really good filmers. They're the ginger runner, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just sort of trying to, if not ourselves, give a platform to East Coast media content too. Like for me, I mean, I don't know. I've never like ran with a camera and filmed. I've done a little bit of editing, but I'm not that great at it. But I do know people that are, and so through the Trust Collective, we can also highlight those kind of people, like uh, Goat Factory Media. He, like, uh, Ron does amazing work over here, and he takes a lot of photos for all of our races. Um, Aaron Shimmons, he moved from Ireland. He now lives in New York City, does, t- does really awesome stuff online. Um, and so just giving um, a platform to those to those creators, but then also 
like when somebody sees a video of where they run or where maybe there's a race there that's like two hours away, that's awesome. And I, it, uh, and I really think that it just encourages more people to one, be more involved and also just encourages them to get into it or stay in it longer because it's, I mean, no matter how like, uh, like selfless we try to be, there is a little bit of ego and selfishness inside us all. And so seeing places that we know that we run runners that we see ourselves in, I think it makes us feel good. And so if I can help do that, then, uh, great. Cause I want more people to get into the sport. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, okay. Where can everyone find you find the trails collective? Give us all of the, the handles, the websites, everything. Well, if they're not tired of hearing my voice right now, um, I am at Gazelli on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I, 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 I know everybody likes Instagram, but I love Twitter. It's so good. Um, but both. And I answer every message. I swear I do. I like that's Like I'm not too important or too good or anything to not, it's important to me to answer everything. Um, it just might take me a couple of days, you know? Um, (laughs) and then also we're at the trails collective on Instagram and the trails collective on Facebook. Um, and then I host the podcast. You're going to want to look up the trails collective, but the shows are called voices from the collective, or I publish the TC lives that are streamed either on Wednesday or Thursday night at like 7.30 on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Um, but I also will tell, I also do all the advertising and stuff for it. So um, if you follow us on Instagram, you will not miss it. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Oh, and I also have a blog because I, I still love writing. Uh, so um, I try to do like all my race recaps, but, and then I also, if I just have a lot going on in my brain, it helps me to write things out. So mm-hmm. I write some things. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but that's on my website at lapel.com. Perfect. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. The only way I can kind of get stuff out is by writing it out. So that's half the time our consummate athlete site is just my like philosophical ramblings um, that eventually yeah. get edited. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, Ellie, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And it was it was just so much fun meeting you at the, the Western States training camp and then seeing you crush it at actual Western States. So hopefully we'll, <laughs> we'll meet again at one of these East Coast races next time. Oh, I'm sure we will. And uh, also, I'd love to come out and, uh, you know, do whatever, see what you're doing as well. It'll be it'll be great. I think mm-hmm. we're all we're all put, put, pushing the sport forward. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you, thank you, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day and your recovery. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. You too, Molly. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 